learning experience design is a mindset, but it's also a process and a set of principles and tools as well. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. The full, complete experience of the learner, from before she decides to sign up until after any course or event is over, should be a primary concern for all learning businesses. In this episode, number 358, we talk with return guest Diana Howells about learning experience design, what it is, why it matters, and how to implement it. Diana Howells is CEO and co-owner of Howells Associates, which specializes in virtual training, virtual presentation coaching, and learning experience design. Diana and Jeff talk about evidence-based practice, the four dimensions of learning, the cognitive, emotional, social, and behavioral, learner personas, journey mapping, social proof, and the importance of feed forward, not just feedback. Their conversation about learning experience design is both conceptual and practical. Whether your learning business is already embracing LXD or yet to move beyond instructional design 1.0, we bet you'll find this conversation useful. Jeff and Diana spoke in April 2023. I think it's probably useful up front to define learning experience design. It's been a somewhat buzzy term out there for a while, and I know it can have somewhat different meanings depending on who's saying it. So what do you mean when you talk about learning experience design? Well, you know what's really funny, Jeff, is I have yet to see a definition of learning experience design that does not use the word experience in the definition. (laughs) It's so hard to define it without saying that word. But yeah, let's talk about this. So I would say learning experience design, or let's talk about instructional design first. Traditional instructional design here at Hells Associates, we view as almost like the 1.0 of instructional design. We view learning experience design or LXD as like the instructional design 2.0. In other words, it's an expanded, more modern version that gives us more modern terminology, tools, platforms with which, right, to build these creative, engaging, meaningful, and hopefully impactful learning interactions. So that's an interesting distinction. When I think of instructional design traditionally, I'm thinking of things like the ADDI model, um, analyze, design, develop, implement, and and evaluate. What's different about learning experience design? Is ADDI gone? How do you kind of go about this instructional design 2.0? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, a lot of learning experience design does incorporate things like iterative design and more collaboration with users and stakeholders and learners on the front end. So it is more akin to something like Michael Allen's SAM, which is the success of approximation model, right? right? So rapid prototyping, iterative, and bringing in feedback and input from the beginning. So we see more of that. And certainly Addy still has a place, but we're seeing more of the progression to kind of that agile um, movement forward. And so when I think about learning experience design, it's really kind of this holistic approach. It is more of a mindset and then a process. And really it's learner-centered, and task-centered, 
for a learning solution. And it really ideally integrates the cognitive, the emotional, the social, and the behavioral dimensions of learning. Now, I definitely want to come back to that because that seems very important to this. I know it's something that you write and talk about relative to learning experience design. But before we get there, why has LXD become such a focus? Why is it a buzz term? What, what needed to be corrected, I guess, basically? What needed to evolve? That's a great question, Jeff. And I'm sure our listeners, too, are thinking of lots of things. What comes to my mind is, you know, we really had this sort of introduction to this idea of user experience design back with Apple in the 1990s. And then we saw that grow. And we saw in the healthcare industry, we started talking about patient experience. And then we see now customer experience, CX, the voice of the customer. And it's just right? Grown and grown. And so now learner experience really encompasses, well, what is that experience? We really ideally want to help improve, right? That experience the learner has while they're learning. And I think, you know, with our listeners, the learner typically is the customer. So when you're doing learning experience, you're also doing uh, customer experience and obviously user experience as well. So experience everywhere, it seems like uh, these days. And how does this relate to, I know there's this whole field of design thinking out there that, you know, connects into user experience design and, and all of the other types of design. How does design thinking factor into learning experience design? Yeah, I love that question. So so I wrote a book called Next Level Virtual Training, Advance Your Facilitation. And I've devoted a whole chapter, chapter two, to learning experience design as it relates to virtual training. But in that chapter, I also talk about, at least here at Health Associates, we see the influence on learning experience design from at least three main streams, one of those being the one you just mentioned, Jeff, which is design thinking, another one being user experience design, and a third one that we're calling evidence-based practice, Mm -hmm. which is really more of this broad term, which encompasses cognitive neuroscience and the learning sciences and psychology and evidence-based research, right? So all of that together. But if we look back at user experience design, right, we have the great benefit of looking at user testing and again, wanting to improve the user's experience with the technology. In design thinking, we really bring in these influences, if you will, about empathy, learner empathy, user empathy, and also including learners in our context on the front end, bringing them in, inviting them into the design process where they can speak into designs when they're still rough and not yet crafted or finalized, but just get those ideas. And again, that speaks back to what we talked about before, Jeff, with that iterative design, rapid, 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 successive attempts to keep improving very quickly, but getting that feedback early on, which here at Health Associates, we like to call feed forward Mm. because sometimes feedback comes too late. So we're asking for feed forward very early on and ideally throughout We hear again and again across so many different aspects of the learning business just how important it is to get that, um, as you said, feed forward early in in the process to really be engaged with your prospective users, with your actual users, and find out how they're thinking about things, what they would want to do in a particular situation, what kind of outcomes they're looking for, and to factor that in. Because we all know the whole, you know, if you build it, they will come 
problem yeah. that, that so many organizations <laughs> have faced every time, and they just don't come. And that's often because they have not really been consulted on what it is they wanted in, in, in the first place. That's I like exactly that. right. Yeah, I, I like that evidence-based aspect of it, as you were saying, too, because it, it, when you think about what most of the evidence about learning says, it's that learning is active, learning takes effort, you know, learning involves the learner really engaging and doing things, and and that may mean, you know, cognitively doing things like reflecting, but it's not a passive experience. And I think of, you know, learning experience design is oriented more towards the active, towards really getting, as you said, it's learner-centric, the learner is engaged in the process. Absolutely agree. And, you know, if we really were to summarize it in a nutshell, I would say learning experience design, we are leaning into, right, the experience the learner is having while they're learning, not the content they are consuming. We're grateful to Thinkific for sponsoring the Leading Learning Podcast. At Leading Learning, we believe reach, revenue, and impact are essential for all learning businesses. Thinkific Plus is a new generation platform purpose-built to help growing businesses scale revenue. With Thinkific Plus, you can generate monthly recurring revenue through course subscriptions and membership programs, sell multiple seats for your learning products to a single buyer, suggest additional products in the learning flow to increase sales, and go global with 0% transaction fees and payments accepted in over 100 countries. Coastal Drone Co. uses Thinkific Plus to sell online courses, memberships, and certifications to those looking to fly drones in Canada. Since converting its training materials into online courses on Thinkific Plus, Coastal Drone Co. has scaled its business, earning more income, training more people, and positioning itself as a leading educator in the Canadian drone industry. Right now, as a leading learning listener, you can get a free month of Thinkific Plus by going to our special URL, thinkific.com slash learning. Start your free month today at thinkific.com slash learning. Well, let's come back to the, the four dimensions of learning, the cognitive, emotional, social, and behavioral. Can you say a bit more about each one of those dimensions and then why it's important to in, incorporate them? Sure. So let's start with the cognitive one. Cognitive, that cognitive learning dimension has probably received the most attention. I think nobody would really argue that, right? We know it's important to uh, use the cognitive function. So when we talk about cognitive dimensions of learning, and by the way, I'm basing this model of those four dimensions from Simone Kansekau and Les Howell's book, Designing the Online Learning Experience. So they developed that framework of those four dimensions, which then I also reference in my book. But this cognitive dimension, you know, we can do so much more with that. So if, as you mentioned, Jeff, there's the passive versus the active experience. An active experience, for example, cognitively might include more reflection, pausing for reflection. It might include asking more questions of the learners as they are learning or as they are learning segments of different types of activities or content. So that's the cognitive piece. The emotional one is the one that we have almost really not given enough attention to. And as you'll notice over the past several years, people have rediscovered, oh my goodness, we forgot about how important emotion is. You'll hear Michael Allen talking about that. You'll hear Dr. Richard Mayer talking about that. You'll hear Clark Quinn talking about that. 
So the emotional dimension is so important because we've learned from neuroscience, we cannot separate decision-making and emotion. Neuroscientist or educational neuroscientist Janet Sedina says you cannot separate learning from emotions. Like they're so tightly integrated. So why is that important? Well, think about motivation, adult learners' motivation. So we want them to be very excited about what they're going to be learning. We want them to see why it's important to them. We want them to understand how it will benefit them. So all of those motivational elements. And then the third one then would be sort of the social dimension. We are social beings. Very important when we're in the virtual setting too, for those purposeful connection times to have cameras on for both online and on site. We can see and hear people. We can have discussions, rich discussions with each other. We are social beings. And then the behavioral is really the doing. You know, I don't know about what our listeners think of this, but it seems like Jeff, so much of our learning solutions that we produce are more about what we know right? Or it's about, it's all about something versus doing. And really, when we talk about application, it's important to have that doing aspect. So bringing the behavioral dimension into a learning solution means we are practicing, we are doing teachbacks, we're doing role plays, we're practicing, giving constructive feedback, whatever it is we're learning about, we're practicing that. And then ideally we would take that right back to our work environment or organization. So, so those are the four dimensions, which really it is again, a holistic approach. They tightly interweave and sometimes there's overlap too, but creating experiences intentionally that includes these include these dimensions then is what our goal is. And you've already started to point to this a bit in, in what you're saying about the dimensions, kind of how this actually you know, plays out, the sorts of things you do to tap into these different dimensions. But I was wondering if we could do almost kind of an exhibit A, exhibit B sort of thing here, where exhibit A is your sort of prototypical old style learning intervention. And it's probably telling that, it, you know, they're often called interventions in the old <laughs> style way of doing things. But, you know, think of your, and I know you do a lot with live virtual type training. So let's, you know, say it's that, and sure. it's sort of your standard, you've got your subject matter expert presenter on a webinar, it's the presenter and, you know, his or her PowerPoint deck that's, you know, everybody's been to thousands of these, I think, in, in their careers. What does that look like if you apply LXD principles and make sure you're addressing those four dimensions? So how, you know, moving from that exhibit B, exhibit A traditional to an exhibit B that is much more ideal. I love it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. So exhibit A, we would have just that traditional webinar. So this is one to many. It's very didactic, right? And we're really thinking about it being content centric content centric. So this facilitator probably doing lecturette, very little interaction, maybe a few polls if it's done through the virtual training venue, but mainly lecture. And so you look at the learners and they're very passive, right? So more sit and get. And let's say that was about virtual training. So you basically have an expert telling others what helps to be a skilled virtual facilitator, but passive audience. All right, so exhibit B, let's transition to that. There, instead of content-centric, learner-centric, but also task-centric, because it's still about 
reaching our goals and outcomes. So let's say in this scenario, the learning experience really is everything from A to Z. So it could be a welcome video that learners receive well before class day that gets them excited about this is what you're going to be able to do and builds motivation in them to do that. And then on class day, when we talk about the objectives, you have those designed learning objectives that drive your design, but then you convert them into questions that are more motivating for your learners. So you keep the traditional objectives for you and your design, but then we translate them into something that's more motivational statements right, for them. And then as we go through the learning, we do teach back. So they're practicing how to facilitate and get feedback. So that's part of the doing. They also have the ability to, let's say in the social realm, have discussion groups on different topics that we talk about. They have the chat form as well, but they're interacting. We're asking good, thoughtful questions. We're giving space to people so that they can have that social element right involved. And then cognitively, we are challenging them. So like I said, we maybe have an action plan and they have reflection and space where they can think about it. And then afterwards, we send messages to their managers and we say, you know, this, these are the action plans that your staff created. And please meet with them in the next two weeks to talk about how they can execute their action plans and let them know how you can support them. And here's some prompts, by the way, that may be helpful when you have these discussions. So you really see the contrast, right, of how it's more integrated and expanded. So LXD, the way we talk about it at Health Associates, we're incorporating those dimensions, right, of being able to think about it, feel about it, interact with others socially, and do something. And you can just, you know, hear and listening to that, just a much richer experience. And obviously you don't have to do all of those things when you're, you know, putting together this more instructional design 2.0 type experience, but you can do a lot of those things. There are a lot of possibilities available in webinars and other types of virtual live training that, that I think learning businesses have just not fully appreciated or tapped into before. And I think we're always trying to think through ways um, a, a podcast can be a fairly passive medium because you're usually mm-hmm. sitting in a car and, and listening to that sort of thing. But yeah. we, don't, we do always like to challenge listeners to, to reflect on what's being said here. And I would say, you know, think about your own Exhibit A's because I think a lot of listeners probably have plenty of Exhibit A's in, in their sure. portfolios. And think about some of those Exhibit B characteristics that you could potentially take advantage of. Look at them as opportunities for your learning experiences. And for listeners, you know, if you have to stop and rewind and listen to that again, Again, or you'll be able to go to the episode page for this episode and you know, look at the transcript there and see everything Diana just said. But don't just don't just sit there passively. Think about uh, what you can actually do with uh, what we're discussing here around that more ideal learning experience. Can you talk about a little bit more about some of the essential strategies and practices for applying LXD when you are developing your new offerings? Absolutely. So one of the things is something that we referred to earlier, Jeff, and that's this idea of bringing in target learners, a few target learners early on to the design process. So something that you can do is you can do some interviews with either 
some of the actual learners or representative learners or customers in this case, right? So one or two or three, you do interviews, you have conversations with them, you can do focus groups, you get to kind of know their demographics, and then you come back to the table, you can either bring them in and run ideas by them, or you can create what's called learner personas. Mm. So I'm sure some of our listeners have maybe experimented with this, right? And the idea is that we create a fictional character this is Rhea, this is Joe, this is Robert, this is Susan, and we give them characteristics. Project manager, been working there for five years, or somebody's a new hire and they are more shy, or somebody else is a leader, but we give them characteristics and we, we imagine that they are their part of the experience. And you can even have like characters, you can use a lot of the softwares and app applications that are available today to create like a fictional character there, give them a name. And then as you're designing, you have them right at the forefront and you're thinking, how would this right target learner respond to this? What would help this individual? So as you know, Jeff, there's the idea of the false consensus effect, which basically says that we sort of have this tendency or bias to assume that everyone thinks like us or mm. what I know, you know too, but that is not the reality, right? We are all very different. And so this kind of using personas and learner personas on the front end kind of helps us address that because we sort of joke, we think we know our customers and we don't, we're very different, right? So bringing them in on the front end, as you maybe have experienced too, that's where you get some of your best ideas. And my business partner was developing a leadership development course, which I do talk about this story in the book. And he actually invited some target learners in, provided them pizza. He changed the trajectory of that course. And that course was so successful, but it was because he incorporated the feedback of a few target learners very early on. Absolutely. Again, it just comes up so often really in engaging with your audience and making mm -hmm. sure that you are incorporating their perspectives. Any other key tips that you would offer to listeners around designing their learning experiences? Yeah, there's another sort of tool as well that learners are welcome to experiment with, and that is journey mapping. So again, you think about if we were to take virtual training as the context, if you think about maybe a blended learning solution where there's some pre-work, and then maybe there's the live online course with some assignments, and then maybe there's some more post-work, and you think about maybe what is the learner going to feel at this point in the course, the pre, the live, and the post? What are they going to do? What kinds of things you're going to do? Um, what kinds of things would they be thinking about? And as you sketch this out, it really stretches you. The learner personas help you shift your mindset, but these journey maps that you create to kind of guide the design, they're very insightful and they inform you about sometimes making changes, right? For the better, the better good of the learning solution. So just kind of tools to help us out of our own mindset. And by the way, learning experience design is a mindset, but it's also a process and a set of principles and tools as well. I'm wondering, it's occurred to me as we've been talking, I mean, this, to me, this sounds like, yes, this is what we need to be doing. Of course, we need to be thinking about learning as an experience and designing in a way to support that. But do you get any pushback? Do you find people who are uncomfortable who are like, no, I like Addy. I've always done it this way. This is how I'm going to continue to do it. How receptive are organizations, the people you work with and your experience to 
to this approach to creating learning? Oh yeah, absolutely. I do have one client who definitely wants to use Addy, will continue to use Addy, but I have introduced other things to that client. So for example, bringing in early feedback and focus groups and then changing the design and then user testing early on. Like I have introduced those kinds of things, but yes, they are definitely committed to using Addy for now, which is fine, right? But I think you do hear a lot of different perspectives. There are those who insist that LXD is just a rebrand of instructional design or learning experience design is instructional design plus learning sciences. You know, there's just a lot of, I guess, not real good clarity maybe around what learning experience design is. But like I said, I like to think about it as an instructional design 2.0. So it rejuvenating this discipline, expanding it from where we were, just growing it, it's evolving. And now we have even more tool sets. And as I mentioned, terms with which to talk about how to make good design. So some people will argue, yes, I think skilled instructional designers have been doing learning experience design all along. And I would agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're learner or customer centered, and they keep that at the forefront. So that's what's driving us, not this content centric approach. Yeah, I think that probably is what it comes down to. No matter what you call this, if what you're doing is really centered on the learner, and you really are using evidence-based approaches to achieving what the learner needs to achieve, then you know, you're probably doing learning experience design, whether you're calling it that or not. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe as we're wrapping up, we can sort of flip the table a little bit. And we've asked you before about your approaches to lifelong learning because you've been on the show relatively recently. So I won't ask you about that, but I would love your perspective. And I think this could actually be, this could be a useful mindset for listeners to get into as well, because it is kind of taking that learner mindset and how would a learner uh, approach this. But for you yourself, if you're trying to assess whether a particular learning offering really does adhere to those kind of LXD principles, that it is learner-centric, that it is evidence-based, that it is going to provide that really effective sort of learning experience, what clues do you look for as the consumer, as the customer for a learning experience? Yeah, I really love the challenge of that question, right? And I think ideally we're looking at the outcomes. So remember it's learner-centered, but it's also task-based. So if we break down the word learning experience design, learning is about outcomes. We have to have goals, right? Learner goals, and they have to be achieved. The second word experience is about what we've talked a lot about today, incorporating in our mind, the four dimensions and really making sure that it's an integration, very tightly woven integration and interaction with all sorts of things. You know, you think about when you bring home a product that you're excited about, you have a good experience at the store or online when you buy it, you finally the product comes to your home, the box is beautiful, it's aesthetically pleasing, you open the product, it works, it's functional, and then you go and you get customer support or tech support and it's helpful and your issues get resolved. Like that whole experience from A to Z, right, is pleasant and motivating and easy and intuitive and you're satisfied by it. So all of that. And then the last word design. So this idea of creating and building something and we're putting more emphasis on kind of that design part right up front, because sometimes we think about development as the bigger chunk, but actually design is where we need to be front loading it because 
we, in a sense, we go slower to go faster up front. If we go slower, we go faster. So, but I think when you talk about how do you assess whether something is really effective or not? I would look at the evaluation. I would look and see what are learners saying about that learning solution? Was it impactful? Was it meaningful to them? Was it engaging? Were they able to learn? So it's hard to look at a solution and say, well, did they use learner personas to create this? Did they did they really get feedback? What is involved with that? But I would look at the evaluation data and see what learners are saying. Were they able to successfully apply this? And did it make a difference when they were back in their organization? Well, we've talked a lot over the years on the show and articles we've written, things like that, about the importance of social proof, testimonials, things like that around the learning experiences that you create. And I think a lot of organizations sort of say, yeah, they kind of put that off. But really, if you want other learners to know that what you're doing is impactful, that's the best, those are the best people to hear it from is people that you've already been successful with before. So just a a takeaway item, an action item for folks who are listening today. It all comes back to your, the learning experience you're creating and what people are going to say about that in the end. So go get that social proof. Go get those testimonials. Diana Howells is author of Next Level Virtual Training, Advance Your Facilitation, and CEO of Howells Associates, which specializes in virtual training, virtual presentation coaching, and learning experience design. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 358, you'll find a link to the Howells Associate website where you can learn more about Diana's work and her next level virtual training book. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable because ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about leading learning, whether in one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 358, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.